Hey, what's up everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Nerds with Friends. My name is Cody Leach and I am joined as always by Christian Garcia. Soup. Soup. Have a cool uh, special episode for you today. Uh, this last weekend we were at Silicon Valley Comic Con down in San Jose. And it was uh, my first time going there. Your, your first time too, right? Nope, second time. Second time. So this is the um, Comic Con that was started by uh, Steve Wozniak and Stanley. I did not know that. Okay. Well, <laughs> somebody did their research. And, um, but uh, yeah, so they kind of focus uh, some on technology. So, like, NASA had a booth there, which is cool. Um, but then again, at, at its core, it's a comic convention. So, we have some special interviews and stuff that we did that we'll get to later in the show. And we'll kind of, wow, that is a uh, that is loud, really loud. For, <laughs> for, forgive me. <laughs> uh, you know what I have to say about that? Oh, hey. Oh, no. <laughs> if you guys notice, we got some new sounds. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. More later. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll talk more about uh, the comic convention in a little bit. But let's start, as we always do, with some nerdy confessions. You want me to go first? You I can go, go first. first. Um, I'm going to keep it Silicon Valley Comic Con. So a nerdy confession is I bought some pins from uh, Little Shop Pins. And they were awesome. Um, it was really hard not buying everything. They had a lot of great stuff. There was a lot of good pins there. There was. There really was. And shout out to those guys. Check them out. Um, you know, buy some pins. They're, they were awesome folks. Um, talk to them a little bit about possibly making some pins, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah. But they were really awesome folks. Make sure and check their stuff out on Instagram and Twitter and their shop. Uh, really cool folks. Coolio. Well, I'll tag on to that. Uh, I also uh, talked to um some some pin guys um but they did they did shirts and prints and other things they were called uh bb create um like bb8 i i, I got it yeah well, i just wanted to make sure <laughs> um but they had some really cool like star wars pins obviously but also i got a cool little nintendo uh it's it's the nintendo game legend of zelda the gold cartridge i got that one too and it's in its case but the little the little cartridge moves up and down which i thought was really cool I got that one in, um, ooh, it was a horror one. Uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm yeah, Street. Yeah. Yep. Uh, really cool. I got it. Another one I really liked was, um, it was, uh, if anyone likes Filipino food, which I think some of our listeners do because we get some listens in Daily City, <laughs> um, uh, they had a this one pin that was the hollow, hollow drink, or it's not a drink, it's like a Sunday kind of thing, 
with like red bean and little jellies and stuff and then ice cream. But they had one where the top ice cream scoop, the Upe ice cream scoop, was BB-8's face. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, they had a lot of cool BB-8 stuff. Yeah. They also had a Jolly (laughs) BB-8. I saw that one. That was a good one, too. (laughs) That one, like, I love a hollow hollow, but I don't go to Jollibee enough to really warrant that (laughs) other pin. But uh, really cool stuff. Um, You know, they had all sorts of uh, Warrior stuff, Keanu Reeves. Lots of Star Wars. That's the one I regret not buying, the Keanu Reeves. Well, Christian, you can uh, visit their website at bbcree8.com. So it's bbcre, the number 8.com. Really cool stuff. But my true nerdy confession is at Silicon Valley Comic Con, I spent $50 on a single D20. Oh, yeah. Uh, What was it? Duck um, Flying Duck Horse. Flying Duck Horse. And uh, you can check them out at uh, flyingduckhorse.com. Uh, the reason why it was so expensive is because it's a 60 sided die. So it's a D 60 technically, but, but it's three D twenties and, but it's three D twenties and one. So there's it, the numbers only go up to 20 and supposedly it's mathematically, uh, weighted so that it's even probability like a normal D. Yeah. And the thing is they use the same shape for all the dice. Yes. So they have the D four, D six, uh, D eight, D 10, D zeros. They didn't have that code. Either. They had blank ones. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero again. <laughs> um, one thing that was kind of interesting, I checked out their website afterwards um, just to kind of read up on it and stuff. They have one called a D20, uh, what's it called? Like a D20 spiral down or something like that, where basically it starts at 20 and then the numbers get lower in a spiral pattern around it. So it's not like completely... Uh, you know, even probability It'd still be random. I don't. I guess no. I'm not a mathematician, I but I, I don't know. Like... It seemed weird. I don't know what you would use it for, but it was kind of interesting. I thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. It's fifty bucks. It came with its own little carrying case, which is that's a cool flex. Like unzipping my one D twenty. Yeah. Just like oh, excuse me, gentlemen, and open it up. And uh, that that would be great. Like when you're the DM and like it's the boss. Oh you know? yeah. Then you're like. We'll have to come up with Pokemon challenge music. That'll be yeah. a good little button to press. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit now that we got our nerd confessions out of the way. Let's talk about Silicon Valley Comic Con. So uh, it's it's in the same for those of you who've been to Fanime in San Jose, which is a popular anime convention. It's in the same building, the San Jose Convention Center, and um, it's this is only its third or fourth year um, in existence. And I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was really, really cool, uh, you know, convention. It's obviously smaller than San Diego. There's there's no no getting around no getting around that, um, you know. But I think that came with some perks. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see everything. Um, unlike Comic Con, where it's impossible, you can't you can't see everything. So that was one of the advantages. You get to see everything. Uh, it's cool to have NASA there. Um, and they're really great. You could just approach them and they'll start talking to you about what's going on and what's happening. So we're on Mars. <laughs> on the way, I guess. Yeah, you can sign up to be part of the colony. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but um, that's, that's a different convention. Yeah. You can sign up somewhere else. Not today, Satan. Not today. That's another new noise. If you guys haven't noticed. <laughs> you don't have to call it out every yeah. time. People know. Yeah, they'll figure it out, I guess. Um, so you get to see everything. Um, it's not as crowded. You don't feel anyone who might be claustrophobic. Definitely not going to get that feeling there. Um, yeah, definitely. Way more space. Yeah, I'd say, you know, that's, you know, 
one of the main drawbacks to San Diego Comic-Con is like if you are claustrophobic or are anxious around crowds, I mean, you're going to have a rough time. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, you're straight up, you know, and, you know, I don't mind, but you're basically getting groped the whole time. Yeah. You know, consistently. Not in a good way. Not in a good way, yeah. And, uh, and you know, for everything that you want to see, whether it be like a random booth or a panel or whatever, there's a line. Yeah. There's huge lines everywhere. Bathrooms, you know, hotel elevators. It's a nightmare. Um, at this one, every single booth you can go up to, you can talk to them, you can hang out. That's why we talk to these guys, um, both at the, uh, uh, the dice booth and each of the pin booths. Um, and it was cool. You know, you get to hang out and talk to them a little bit about it. Like, Oh, how'd you come up with this? You know, uh, you know, what do you, what else do you guys do? Where are you guys from? And all this kind of stuff. So got to meet a lot of cool people that normally, you wouldn't get to talk to at Comic-Con, at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, like, let alone have a full-on conversation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's I thought it was a cool experience. Um, we Also, when it comes to celebrities, like in the autograph section. Oh, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. Jason Momoa was there. Right. Um, the whole cast, basically, of Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, damn, I don't want to leave anyone out. Uh, oh, Captain Pike from uh, Star Trek... Discovery. I wanted to say Star yeah. Trek Destiny. That's and just two of my favorite things. <laughs> Lou Ferrigno, but he's everywhere. He's like at yeah. every convention. Yeah. I've met Lou Ferrigno before at uh, back when WonderCon was still here. Um, a couple of the Power Rangers were there. Uh, um, Kel. No, Keenan. Kel, oh, Kel, Kel, Kel was, was there. there. Yeah. And then uh, Andy Weir, from uh, who wrote The Martian, was also there. And then we saw Adam Savage from Mythbusters. Yeah. Actually, we saw him walking down the hall. And I was like, ah, I, I almost Busted! <laughs> I, I really wanted to approach him just because he's local. And I really just wanted to ask him if we could have him on the podcast. But I was like, you know what? He's walking down. And he was with a bunch of people. I was like, ah. I'm yeah. Not. He looked like he was on his way to something. Yeah. But, I figured it, it might have been cool because we had the press badges. But I was like, nah, I'll just let it be. Yeah. Just let it be. That's what John said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh hell no! <laughs> Got me on that one. Uh, but yeah, I'd say it, this is this is a really good <clears throat> starter convention. You know what I mean? Like if you've never been to a comic convention ever, or anime or whatever, um, I think this is a good place to start. It's lo- low impact, not a lot of walking, but you still get... And you get everything, yeah, that you would get. You, at yeah, you get a small taste of everything. You know, there are panels there. Now... They even had cosplay contests as well. Yep, yep. Um, and a bunch of cosplayers walking around. Some of the cosplayers had booths. I didn't recognize any of them, but um, I saw a couple. Yes, because they're always in cosplay. Uh, good point. Masters of Disguise. <laughs> uh, but there's uh, panels there, too. Now, you're not going to get, like, the Marvel reveal like you would get at Hall H and Comic-Con, but you also don't have to sleep outside to go to any of them, too. You just walk in and be like, oh, what's going on in here? And you can actually, you know, see some movie stars yeah. and TV stars, which is really cool. A lot, lot better chance of uh, going up and asking questions uh, to, to the stars and stuff who are there. So, um, you know, when you're in Hall H, there's 7,000 people there, like, I don't even know when you're supposed to get up to line up for questions because only the people who sit in front ever get to ask, yeah. a- ask anything. Uh, so really fun. It's a really fun um, convention. I had a great time there. Um, and then we got to meet some cool folks too. You know, uh, 
uh, along with the the two uh, clothing pin companies that we met and the dice guys. We also got to talk with the guys from Legion M who were like super cool. Yeah. The uh, president, uh, Jeff Anderson, uh, VP, uh, David Baxter, and never thought we would get the chance to meet, but uh, yeah. Luke Gygax was there and um, that was awesome. You know, and where you guys are going to hear that in a sec. I'm sure everyone who's listening who wants to hear that is like, all right, guys, shut up so we can, we want to listen to the interview. We'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing I, I will say, um, you know, a little introduction to Legion M, though uh, we'll hear uh, Jeff talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, they're a fan-owned media company. So you can actually go to their website, which is just legionm.com, right? Yep. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, and you can actually invest in the company. You know, it, it starts at, you know, do only what you can afford or whatever, but um, it's kind of cool because if the company succeeds, you could succeed. And um, Jeff will kind of explain a little bit more of how everything works and what their goals are and everything. But Christian and I, you know, have been investors in it for a couple of years now yeah. or something like that. And um, they're not open to investors all the time. They are open right now currently. They're on their fifth round. Fifth round. Uh, so you can get in there. And one of the cool things is they're, they're – uh, Helping fund the new Kevin Smith, Jay and Silent Bob uh, reboot movie, which is going to be awesome. I'm super excited yeah, for that it, one. Yeah, it looks, it looks great. And then, I uh, I've always loved Kevin Smith, but it, it looks like it's going to be awesome. Yeah, exactly. It looks like he, he's uh, returning to form, let's just say. You know, Snoogans, <laughs> Snoochie Boochies. <laughs> Snoogans. Um, that'd be a good drop button to have on there. Just Snoogans. Yes. <laughs> Bong. And uh, they also did Mandy, uh, starring Nicolas Cage, which we we reviewed before. Yeah, I still love that movie. I bought as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, I bought it. Yeah, yeah, I bought it on uh, iTunes. And then a Colossal, which uh, I don't know if I ever reviewed on here, but it's starring Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, it was it was that was really good. It was a really different take on a giant movie, on yeah, a giant monster, giant movie. monster movie, and weird premise, like a I mean, weirder than giant monsters, but really fun how you know how they controlled the monsters and what the overall you know ending to the movie was uh and so you know what's cool about it is you know legion m does actually give you you know say in what projects they're going after they're, they're coming out with a cool alien documentary about like the creation of the movie alien it's uh, specifically the chest busting scene it's, it focuses on that on that one scene. I'm super excited. And what I was going to mention, and it, you know, Jeff talks about it when he interviewed him, but uh, there's scout programs where you can actually, they ask uh, investors, and I believe you don't have to invest, where you, uh, you can still be a film scout. Um, they'll ask you to vote. You know, like, hey, what are you interested in? Like, does this interest you versus this? And um, the, uh, the memory, the alien documentary, is actually one that I voted on. So it's kind of exciting. You know, I, you mentioned, we talked a little bit about it on the interview, but that was exciting for me when it got picked. I was like, Yo, I picked that one. You know, like they did listen. You yeah, know, they, exactly. They really do listen. Yeah, and that's what's, what's cool. Um, and, you know, uh, there's, there's certain things like, you know, uh, movie studios out there, you know, how many Transformers movies have we gotten, you know, and some of them are great. And some of them are like, man, I wish they had just like asked, asked. us, <laughs> you know, like, did did we want uh, Optimus Prime to be evil for a whole movie? No, no, we really didn't. You know, but that's one of the cool things about Legion M is they, they do ask for input. And, you know, um, you get to see a lot of the movies that, that we actually would love as fans, which is really cool. So 
Um, we want to thank them for taking the time to uh, talk to us. And I think you guys will really enjoy the uh, interviews that are going to come up. Um, so I guess without further ado, uh, the first one is going to be with the president of Legion M, um, Jeff Anderson. And uh, uh, take it away, me, I guess. <laughs> so we're here at uh, Silicon Valley Comic Con. Nerds with Friends, first Silicon Valley Comic Con, I should say. This is your first? This is our first one wow. here. Yeah. Well, well, welcome to Silicon Valley Comic Con. Yeah, uh, we're, we're super excited to be here. I've been to Fanime here, which is in the same building, which is a more anime-based convention. And we're here with uh, Jeff from uh, Legion of M. Legion M. I keep saying the of in the middle. <laughs> no, we are... Legion M. Legion M. Legion of M is fine too. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll I think accept I think I'm getting the House of M. You know, that's one of my favorite <laughs> books, uh, comic books. So uh, I think I just want to put that in there. But um, I think Christian told you uh, on Friday that we're we're uh, investors in the company as well. Fantastic. And uh, we really love what you do. Um, and uh, we're super excited for some of these upcoming projects. I've seen uh, I've seen several of the movies already, and we're super excited to see what comes next. Um, one thing we like to do on this show is do a thing called Nerdy Confessions, where we confess something that makes us a nerd. And I mean, of course, being you know co-founder and president of you know an awesome media company would count. Maybe maybe you have something different that uh, is one of your nerdy passions. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of something juicy, you know, yeah. like a, like a true nerdy confession. There's nothing that kind of comes to mind right now. But uh, now I, uh, you know, for me, my holy trinity was Star Wars. So I, I, I was born in 1972, right? So I was oh, nice. the perfect, perfect, the perfect age. age for um, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, like, I think if you take all three of those things, mix them up, you know, like, that explains probably a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. We're both big Star Wars fans, Star Trek fans, Game of Thrones fans. I mean, you know, of course, we started a nerdy podcast. So, yes. you know, that, that, that's what you get. Um, so... Let's uh, talk a little bit about Legion M. Uh, you know, what what first got you started? What where did the idea come from? What you know, what were you trying to accomplish? Well, it's a great question, and really, what precipitated the company was a change in securities laws. Uh, we had been following these securities laws because of a, a previous project that we were working with one of our previous companies. This is the third startup that Paul and I have co-founded together. Uh, the first one was really successful. We were the first ones to put live television on a cell phone back Ooh. in 2003. So you think of like a Motorola Razor. You know, we had TV. My dad had one of those on that up phone. until like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, and so, uh, you know, we that was a company we started. It was three of us working out of a garage, and we grew it to, I mean, gosh, we had three, 400 employees. We had offices around the world. We won an Emmy Award for innovation and television for what we had done. And so we had been through this kind of, you know, meteoric rise of a startup. And, and the roller coaster that a startup is, you know, the ups and the downs, and it's an amazing journey. And actually, when we first started that company, we needed to raise some money. And we reached out to our friends and family. And we had, they would invest that, you know, like maybe $1,000 or $5,000. It wasn't a huge amount, but they believed in us and they believed in what we were doing and they invested. And we came to find out that we were naive young entrepreneurs, this was the first startup company we'd done, that we actually couldn't do that. We had to give those people their money back. Oh. And 
it was heartbreaking because these were people that truly believed in us and what we were doing. They were willing to take the risk. They knew the risk, um, but we had to give their money back. And then the company took off and, you know, they felt really lousy and we felt terrible about it, right. you know, that we had to do that. And so anyway, l long story short, we were monitoring kind of the securities laws. There was this thing called the Jobs Act uh, mm -hmm. that passed in uh, like 2012, and it finally got implemented in 2016. And th these laws were changing securities laws that have been on the books since the 1930s, and we're going to make it so now anyone could invest in a startup. And we thought this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, like a fundamental disruptive change to the landscape that we can take advantage of to build a fan-owned entertainment company. And so I don't know if we can take credit for being the first people to have ever thought of a fan-owned entertainment sure. company, but we were there at the time that it first became possible, and we had the presence of mind to, to jump in and take advantage of it. That's so awesome. Um, so, I mean, obviously we know kind of how uh, Legion M works, but... You know, for for the uninitiated, you know, kind of what's the process and what's the what's the goal behind it? You know. Yeah. Uh, well, so we're a fan-owned entertainment. We call ourselves the first fan-owned entertainment mm -hmm. company because we are literally the first company that was designed from day one to be owned by a large group of fans, as opposed to corporate investors or, sure. or that sort of thing. And so we believe that if you have an entertainment company that's owned by a large group of fans, you have fundamental competitive advantages over every other entertainment company that's out there. Because when our films come out, we've got a legion of people that we know are going to come out and see it opening night. We know they're going to bring their friends. They're going to talk about it on social media because it's our project collectively. Right. All of us have a stake in it. So it, it's kind of like if you think about how wonderful Kickstarter is and the right. ability to back a project and be a part of something that you love, this is just taking it one step higher because now you're not just supporting a project, you're a part of it. And if we're successful as a company, you can actually make money on your investment. That's so awesome. Um, obviously, there's, you know, some of those things are advantages of, you know, having this direct link to your audience. What are some of the challenges that you have to face because of being maybe a smaller startup company, even though obviously you've worked with some big time actors, directors, and so on. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really good question, and it's funny. When we first started, nobody's ever done this before. Right. And so we literally have no idea kind of how this is gonna end. And uh, when we started, a lot of people were like, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, the, you gotta understand, it is, completely contrary to the way that most companies are financed and created, right? Usually sure. you want a single big investor, right? Right. Or maybe a couple. But the problem is the more people you have, the more differing opinions you have, right. the more chances for conflict. And so people like, you know, experienced entrepreneurs and 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 um, finance people, they look at us and they go, that's ridiculous. Like, are, are you kidding me? You want a million people on your cap table? Um and what we found has been, it actually hasn't been a challenge. It's been, again, like it's, it's amazing. We have nearly 20,000 investors. We've got over 100,000 people as part of the Legion M community. And that community is the source of, source of our strength and our energy. A great example 
is um, Memory. Uh, we're here. This is a film that's coming out. We announced it last night. It's coming out October 4th. It'll be in select theaters and it'll be on demand everywhere. But it's a documentary that basically tells the origin story of Alien oh, that's and awesome. the mythological and entomological uh, foundations of it and the story of the screenwriter and, and then also the impact that it's had on pop culture. This is the 40th anniversary of Alien. And um, that project, actually, we bought it, the rights to it at Sundance based on our Scout platform, where oh, our nice. members could log in and vote. Yeah, I was actually part of the Scout uh, members, and I was like, one of the ones I voted for, so that's kind of awesome. That, it makes you feel like, you know, you do have a say in you, the company. Yes, you, you totally had a say. And, and like, we... we went to Sundance. That movie was on our radar just because we're a genre company sure. and we're into nerdy stuff and we wanted to see it. But I don't know that we would have thought that a documentary is something that the that, that our community would rally behind. But, you know, we did this test and, you know, what's, what, so there were thousands of people from all around the world that voted. We had over 45,000 votes on the platform. And um, we also had a whole bunch of people who are at Sundance. We have a lounge each year at Sundance. So if you want to come to Sundance, check that off your bucket list. Oh, it's amazing. I totally do. Yes. We, we accept right now. So. <laughs> well, you got to you get yourself here. there because <laughs> we, can't, we can't bring you there. But if, if you can, you know, again, it's an amazing bucket list sort of thing. Yeah. If you can come out. You're not just going to Sundance as a fan. We've got a Legion M Lounge that's right in the heart of Sundance on Main Street. Um, last year, we were partnered with Getty, and it was the Celebrity Lounge. So the, the celebrities are all coming and getting their photos taken as part of their uh, press junket. And you can be a film scout. So so we had we had two things. We had, first of all, anybody from anywhere in the world, like you, could vote on you know like what movies sounded more interesting. There were uh, about 120 films at Sundance that we were looking at. And so the votes from everybody um, helped us narrow it down to a watch list of these are the ones that people think is most interesting. And if you think about it, that's very analogous to how you choose a movie each week, right? Like sure. you, you watch a trailer, you know who's in it, you know you have to judge a book by its cover and say, okay, I'm willing to invest the time in right. it. Usually sitting in my underwear. <laughs> maybe, yes. maybe put on pants for Sundance. That's one of the big pluses of investing in voting. You know, you could just do it from home in your underwear. In your underwear. Exactly. We do require sa pants at the uh, at the, at the Sundance Lounge. Lounge. Okay. Yeah, if you come join us, but. Uh, um, anyway, so then we had all the people who were at Sundance who could be film scouts and could go see the movies, and they were the their scouting reports is what told us yes, this movie lives up to its promise, you know, or no, this this sounds great, but when you, the execution is just not there, and so together we used that data, and we bought the rights to that film, and normally. I mean, it's great for two reasons. First of all, like you said, as an investor, as an owner of this company, you should have a voice and in, 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 in a say in what we're doing. But also, normally a decision like that is made by like one or two guys. Right. And, you know, it's my gut versus your gut. And we can argue about it. And, and you know, but at the end of the day, one of us is going to win. And in our case, we were able to rely on the guts of thousands of people. And we think it makes us smarter. And it allows us, that's one of the advantages of a fan-owned company or that no other company has is we can make smarter decisions because we can harness this, uh, the wisdom and insight of our community. That's so awesome. And I mean, it makes sense too, because I feel like, you know, movies like Mandy or Colossal, like 
I, I wouldn't see those from necessarily a giant studio. Who would be like, I want Nick Cage just chopping people up with a homemade <laughs> axe blade weapon. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things that the fans want it, and it's it's awesome to see that that makes you know makes it through the channels to make get made. That's actually the film that that got me to invest. That's after I watched Mandy. I was like, and I, you know, you Cody had told me about Legion M. Yeah. Did my research. I was like, okay, I gotta put some money in this company. Like, I totally believe it. I want to get behind it. That's cool. Yeah, the first one I ever saw was Colossal, and yes. I, and it was just such an interesting, you know, take on like the giant monster movie, yes. and uh, you know, super funny, but also you know, kind of dark, and you know, uh, made you really think about the you know, kind of the uh, results of what would happen if, you know, you were in control of one of these giant things. So I really enjoyed it. One thing I'm really excited for is the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. So obviously, you know, you've worked with, you know, you had uh, Nicolas Cage, you got uh, Jason Sudeikis and um, Anne Hathaway, now Kevin Smith. What is like, what's, what's the uh, white whale that you're chasing after now? I mean, you guys have already done so much. That's a great question. Um, you know, it's for us, we're looking to, for opportunities that make sense for the Legion. And a sure. lot of those are kind of not ones that you would immediately think of. Mm -hmm. And that's what's wonderful about the Comic-Con community and the Legion M community, the film festival community, is it's the most warm and welcoming and, and you know, smart and, and creative, you know, sort of group. So, um I don't know that there's a single white whale that sure. we're chasing. You know, if you go, one of the things that we do, in addition to the Scout platform, we have Impulse, which is something we send out periodically where we're surveying all of our members and asking the questions about, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And there's log lines in there, and there's trailers, and some of them are for movies that we're not even involved with, right? We're right. just saying, hey, Feeling what do you out. think of this, you know? Um, and we're looking for signals, you know, to help direct us. But buried in there are also most of the projects that we're working on. And so, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things. If you go through Impulse, you'll see things. They're kind of hidden in plain sight, you know, that, that could very well be a project that we're working on in a couple months. Um, we have some really cool uh, projects in development, right? So if you think of our slate... Uh, projects like, you know, Mandy and Bad Samaritan Colossal and Jay and Silent Bob, those are projects that we invested in. Even Memory, we bought the rights, but that film was already done. Yeah. Um, the other half of our slate are development projects like Girl With No Name, which we released as a comic book. Um, and uh, uh, we uh, Evermore is one that we've announced and Malice and Airship Cowboys. And we've got a couple that we haven't announced yet for just various kind of strategic reasons. But sure. I think that that for us, like if you ask about a white whale that's what we want to do i think that's when we'll really be able to take it up a level because you know if you think about it game of thrones at one point was just a pitch right there were some books that had been written and there's a pitch and we're like hey this is what we want to do with the series and they managed to sell it to hbo and it became the next biggest thing on television that's what we want to do with girl with no name or you know yeah. some of these other projects and it's infinitely harder Right. Like if you think about it, there's probably literally a thousand projects out there that are in some stage of development for every one that ends up getting made into a movie or a TV show. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, you know, I think, you know, as investors, I think the thing we want to see the most is just like, you know, like you said, t having a completely a complete project that's all our own kind yeah. of thing. And, you know, getting to the point where it's like, oh, remember that thing we voted on, you know, 
two years ago. Now it's coming out, you know, next yeah, weekend in yeah. the theaters. I think I think that'll be the next level for Legion. I mean, Girl with No Name is a great example. You know, we partnered with the. It's an award-winning screenplay. We partnered with the producer and director, an amazing team that was behind it, and we decided to release a comic book first. And the reason is, is because, it, you know, if you think about a comic book, it's just it's storyboards right. for the movie. It's like you can think of it as like this is the first draft of the storyboards for the film. And then, you know, we're releasing it to the public, which does two things. Um, first of all, it can provide proof of proof of momentum. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you look at this, when we launched this, we did the pre-sales on Kickstarter and um we, we set our target on Kickstarter to be $6,000 because that's the average amount that a comic book on Kickstarter makes. And we don't, this isn't gotcha. an existing IP, right? Nobody's ever heard of this before. Sure. It's not like it was a brand name writer. It was adapted from the script. And so um, anyway, we ended up with over $135,000 worth of pre-sales uh, for this. And we made it onto, you know, Kickstarter's projects that we love. And we had almost 3,000 backers. And so now when we go and try and sell it to a studio or something, it's not just here's an award-winning script. It's like, and we've got this traction in the marketplace. People have shown us that they're interested, that they want to hear the story. So that's part of it. But the second part of it is, is, like I said, we're releasing these storyboards out to the public where we can get feedback from them. We did three different covers of this variants, right, um, with three distinctively different styles. People got to choose when they bought the book which cover they wanted. The, um, the one that they chose the most became the cover of the comic book, right, going forward. The other two were just limited edition Collector's Kickstarters. Items. Yeah, um, uh, variants, which is super cool. Right. But it also gave us a data point. Like, okay, they like this. This is the cover that won. I'm standing sure. in front of a poster. I know you can't see it at home, but imagine <laughs> in your mind's eye if there was a... We're going to take pictures, guys. Don't <laughs> worry. Yeah, check out our Instagram and Facebook. We'll have it on there. But this was the artwork that fans chose. And so that helps us start to flesh out the visual style of it. Um, all of the backers who backed it on Kickstarter are going to be invited to um, uh, an on uh, basically a development session, you know, with the director and the producer of the film. We want to hear your ideas on casting. We want to hear your feedback. Like, what did you like? Were there characters in the comic book that resonated with you or didn't resonate? Are there things that you didn't understand? And so. We think that, again, it's just it's this whole idea of if you've got a legion of fans, if you've got a community associated with the company, we've got this amazing advantage because we got, you know, a million scouts. We got a million people for focus groups. We've got, you know, all of the combined wisdom and experience and insight of, of the community. That's so awesome. Well, Jeff, I think we've took, taken enough of your time. I'm sure you got plenty of uh, people to talk to here at the uh, convention. So uh, where can people find Legion M and, and how can they get invested in the company just like us? Yeah, it's a so you can join 100% free. There's no cost. There's no obligation. I recommend everybody starts with that. You can do that anytime. We're not always raising money. We, we happen to have a round open right now. Um, but you get to join the Legion M community. You get invited to the members-only Facebook group. Um, you get, you know, invited to things like Sundance. And when we partnered with Fox Searchlight for Tolkien, we had 200 tickets to the premiere that we were able to give away to uh, to with the red carpet premiere you know with the stars and everything and so anyway you can join for free and there's a ton of information on our website there's a funding portal it's kind of like a Kickstarter it's called WeFunder uh, which is for equity crowdfunding and there you can learn all about Legion M and if you want to invest that's wonderful we tell people right up front we're a startup 
nobody's ever done this before, you know, the most likely statistical outcome is that you're going to lose your money. Um, I mean, that's just the hard reality. Sure. But the companies that succeed, if you had been dumb enough to invest in Facebook when it was run by a college dropout out of his dorm room, yeah. you'd be a millionaire right now. Yeah. You know, and or, or Apple, seeing as we're at uh, yeah, in Silicon Valley <laughs> or Walt Disney. I mean, at one point, Walt Disney <laughs> yeah. was just a guy drawing black and white silent mouse cartoons and evolved into the most powerful entertainment <laughs> yeah. company on the planet. And so anyway, so so you should never invest more than you can afford but uh, to lose. But, you know, if you want to take a risk, if you want to join us and come along for the ride, you know, uh, I, I, we can't guarantee we can succeed, but we can guarantee it's going to be a hell of a ride. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, enjoy the rest of Silicon Valley Comic Con. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No <laughs> All right. That was uh, President of Legion M, Jeff Anison, speaking with us at Silicon Valley Comic Con. And then this next interview is going to be uh, Luke Gygax, son of D&D creator Gary Gygax, and then David Baxter, Legion of M, VP of Development. Both. Oh, both, cool. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say both really nice guys. And uh, I was just going to say uh, I was shocked at A, how tall David Baxter is. And B, I did not expect uh, Luke to be as yoked as he was. Oh, he was Luke was solid, super yoked. Major Gygax. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, damn, like the G must stand for gains. <laughs> like yeah, the G exactly. And I was like, he was, he was a yoked dude. Yeah, he's been rolling dice for a while. That's what it is, <laughs> just reps. But uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, Luke Gygax and David Baxter. And if you get a chance, check out David Baxter's cosplay too. I think he uh, he did the hound. He he did the hound, and you'll hear more about that in just a minute. Uh, we're, we're here at Silicon Valley Comic Con in San Jose, California, where I grew up, um, so it's good to be back. And we're here with uh, Luke Gygax and David Baxter. Uh, Luke is the son of D&D creator Gary Baxter, a legend amongst the role-playing world, and i just say the regular world, you know? And then uh, David is the Legion M VP of Development. Do I have that right? Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time out of I know it's... It's always uh, rough taking time off the convention floor to talk to us, but we really appreciate uh, you guys coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Totally great. <laughs> uh, so let's, uh, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask a couple uh, Dungeons & Dragons questions. Um, so the, the game has grown huge, and I'd say in the last couple of years even, even bigger than it was, um, you know, a decade ago. Uh, what has been the biggest impact that you've seen of the game on, you know, the nerd world or the, uh, you know, the, the nerd community in general? Uh, well, for myself, I would just say uh, Dungeons & Dragons Resurgent is uh, really wonderful. I think this is uh, a higher peak than it even achieved in the 80s. Uh, uh, the late 70s, early 80s laid the groundwork uh, for, the, for pop, pop culture where we're at today. And with that uh, foundation... Uh, it's taken off again through, you know, 5e. They did a great job making it accessible to, to people. It's really, it's much more easy to jump in and play. They've uh, demystified D&D by showing it on, you know, streams like YouTube or, or Twitch. So people realize it's not, you know, something that, uh, you know, that you need a uh, physics, advanced physics degree to play. It's really getting around with your friends and having a good time. Uh, and I would say, uh the Dungeons and Dragons is resurgent because of all the folks who played in the 70s and 80s. They learned a lot of skills. They uncovered uh, a passion and a desire to be creators. And so, so many of those folks have gone into, you know, screenwriting, directing, acting, whatever the case may be, that we've seen, uh, you know, books, movies, TV, 
uh, video games, a huge, huge giant part, uh, and those speak to so many more people uh, than our gamers uh, that it's just become a, a pop culture, uh, you know, something that's embedded in our pop culture and complete accepted as something that's normal. Uh, if you'd gone back in 1979 or 80, and uh, gone up and talked to somebody about you know your uh, uh, you know your ranger your barbarian character throwing spells and fireball you, they might think that you were uh, crazy or something or you, you you know you you certainly wouldn't do that in public you'd had to get uh, the secret nerd code that uh, oh wait that person may be a, a geek like me and then you'd go somewhere where it was accepted to play and, and not uh, in order not to be ostracized uh. something else that's going on as well which is really interesting is that you know. Dungeons and Dragons was, you know, the, the, the thing that helped fuel the video game world and the, the idea of digital playing. And I think, you know, what's happened is there's a, kind of a backlash. People want to have an analog feel. They want to see each other and talk to each other and not just be behind a screen. And the theater of the mind that Dungeons and Dragons espouses really is the perfect way to do this. And, you know, I, I started playing in the 70s, and I've got a 10-year-old son now. And i got to tell you, being able to be in a room with your son, rolling dice, there's nothing that can kind of give that kind of uh, level of excitement. Like, oh, my gosh, we just avoided dropping into a pit with 10-foot spikes. Or, oh, sorry, Dad, you're dead. You know, these are, these are really, really good things. And it's exciting also because it's so embedded in pop culture. From things like Ready Player One, where sure. Gary Gygax's Tomb of Horrors was made even more famous. People were like, oh, i got to go find out what the heck that was. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very exciting time to be playing D&D. Yeah, actually, I have uh, two nieces, and like, as soon as like they were little kids, I'm like, I can't wait till they're old enough so I can get them gaming. Like, I can't wait to DM a game with them. So, no, I, to I totally get the excitement about the game. I think that's actually it's probably a good uh, like YouTube channel idea. Just DMing a bunch of little kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I mean, kids, kids react. That's like the big. Uh, my son is on yeah. Kids React, and I'm talking with them about doing exactly that, where kids get DM. Yeah. And that, you know, I think people would love it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I'm kind of new to uh, Dungeons and Dragons um, and the role playing world. I mean, I've played video games, you know, but my you're entire. A hat. I know. It's D &D. That's I know. Great. It's a new hat. It's You're brand total new. Poser. I know. I'm so. Oh, I'm man. such a poser. Um, but uh, I've been playing now for a couple years, um, so I, I definitely didn't grow up with it. But one thing, I've I've just started DMing my first game, um, and one of the things I've noticed is that when you're coming to the game as an adult, you know sometimes uh, the imagination takes a little while to kind of warm up and. Um, I think that people who have been playing it for a longer, uh, Christian's been playing it a little longer than me as well, um, they're, they're used to playing the role um, and used to creating that world a little bit easier. So it's definitely one of the challenges I've uh, been dealing well, with. The other thing is is that you know, when people see a critical role on television, these are actors. These are improvisational actors. You know, so they're very, very skilled at being able to make it flow and, uh, you know, Matt Mercer is such an unbelievable storyteller that he leads you through it. I mean, you don't even know that he's setting you up to go in a particular direction, and he's doing it. And, and that's, you know, unfortunately, people see this as a really super high bar, 
but you don't have to do that. You just have to have fun. No, and don't worry about that, dude. That's one of the interesting things. Like I started watching Critical Role, and it's like that's what got me super hyped into playing. And it was like a double-edged sword. Like, oh, I want to be able to do those voices. But I definitely can't do those voices, <laughs> like, at all. And uh, Satine Phoenix, who we've had on the show, like, she's been giving a great advice about, like, you know, you just you just do it. You know, you, you be uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. And She's a wonderful evangelist. Oh, yeah, she's Dungeons great. She's amazing. For, for exactly the reason that you're saying is be you. You know, that's totally cool. You don't have to <laughs> change your character. Your character can be you. Right. I think it's important to note that growth comes through change, and change is by stressing yourself and being uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable sometimes learning to dungeon master, right? Oh, That's yeah. That's pretty daunting. Trust but, me, I know. But you know what? You're probably your worst <laughs> critic, and you're, you're just get out there, you know, read up about it, you know, watch some YouTube videos, whatever it is, but just get in there and do it, and your friends are, are you know, you're going to have great adventures, make good times, great memories, and all that, you know, prep and, and, and nervousness will come out as a, as a good performance, and you will get better. You know, no one starts something as an expert, uh, right. and you'll get there. And, uh, you know, my voices still suck after all these years. <laughs> so, you know, uh, everybody has their different strengths and weaknesses. Right. Didn't your dad think that one of the, the greatest things about the game is just the friendships? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Dungeons & Dragons has formed lifelong friendships for, I would argue, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, some of my best buddies uh, I've met around the gaming table and have known for decades. And, and it's just, that's, that's what happens. You form sort of a, a band of brothers. And yeah. I think that speaks to something with the nature of role-playing games. Uh, you make a character, you invest a little bit of yourself in there uh, to make that character, and it's somebody different. And so it allows you to maybe uh, explore uh, areas of your personality that maybe you wish you were more like, or just that you know, maybe it's a little daunting or uncomfortable. Maybe you're socially a little bit more conservative, you know, not as outgoing, but you're gonna play a brash barbarian. And through playing those characters, uh, you learn skills. And when you, when and also when you talk about the adventures uh, later on, you know, oh man, you don't, no one says, do you remember when uh, you were playing that half elf uh, fighter and we went into this fantasy world and did this? It's like, hey guys, do you remember when we went down there and we killed this dragon and we got this magic item? That was so cool. Yeah. So you you talk about it in the first person, even though that's your character. And so you share that, that shared danger that, oh, my God, we're down to just our last couple hit points. It's my last spell. If, if, this, if we don't kill this thing now, we're all doomed. But you did it, and you got through there, and you're like, yes, and you share that, share that victory. It's kind of like a, you know, if, you, if you win in a sport or things like that, you form that, that camaraderie. Uh, so I think that's important, and that's why D&D, people are so passionate about it and why they form these strong bonds that carry over years. That's so cool, and I think you bring up a good point. Is that you know these all these characters that um, you create, you create kind of a backstory, and it, it becomes more than just a barbarian or a wizard or you know a ranger. It's it's your ranger. They they have names. They have oh you know he was a grizzled war veteran who you know uh, swore he'd put down the sword, but he had to pick it up one more time. Um, compared to like the games that were coming out at the time of you know D and D's inception. Um, it, it seems like this game brought the focus more on the individual rather than just troop movements. Like the one that always comes to mind to me is like Risk is like a kind of a watered down like, oh, you're just moving troops in Africa. Um, but this one kind of brought the personal aspect to it. Do you think that had something to do with like the political climate of the time in the Vietnam War being more televised than any of the previous ones? Well, I'm not sure if uh, the Vietnam War had an impact on the game design itself. 
uh, but I would certainly say that the times did. Sure. Uh, and uh, people were looking for a way to escape, uh, probably from, uh, you know, there was uh, a lot of social upheaval. I right. think there was uh, some stressors on the economy and things like that. So, so those were some of the factors that were going around. Frodo for president. I mean, literally, that's when Lord of the Rings became super popular, and I absolutely agree, agree with Luke. It had to do with people, I think, really wanting to sort of... The world was becoming really gray, right? and there was a, a, a need for us to sort of see things more black and white, good and evil. And and D&D, you know, let people inhabit worlds like that, although your dad was not a fan of... Of Tolkien. <laughs> That's true. My dad w thought uh, Tolkien's uh, books were a little too slow. He loved The Hobbit. He mm -hmm. read that to me and my brothers and sisters when we were just children, and, and I loved that book. I read it on my own when I was eight because I loved it so much. It was, it was wonderful. But uh, I just wanted to point out that, that Dungeons and Dragons was a revolutionary game format. Nothing right. like that existed prior to the creation of Dungeons and Dragons. You talk about risk. Perfect example. Yeah. It's a it's a game where you are playing a player. There's no personality to it. There there's nothing there. You're in a board and mm -hmm. it's it's structured. You can't go outside of that. There is turns and rules and it's adversarial. One person wins, everybody else loses. So D and D, you you know, it continues session after session. You can go wherever you want. There's no borders. There's no controls. There's limits of your imagination, and you all cooperate. Usually, uh, <laughs> usually to get to to get to uh, a successful conclusion. Now you you bring up usually what's your feelings on murder hobos? How, what's your your opinion on? <laughs> hey, I think that there's all sorts of different styles of play. None is better than the other. This is a game. You're supposed to have fun. So if you and your group of players enjoy going around and and blowing up stuff and just you know, uh, do, you know, just taking it off the tracks and just go like, oh, the barkeep is there and you meet this guy and he's trying to give you a mission. You're like, wow, we get in a bar fight and kill him. And oh, okay. All right, I got it. If that's the style of play that people want and enjoy, great. Now, if you're the one person in a group of <laughs> eight and you want to do that and everybody else wants to ha talk to people, then you're a disruptor and that, that's getting in the way of having a good time. So, so I would say it's just it's a group activity and you got to kind of decide and, and form, you know, form that group and what you want to do and go have fun. I had no idea what murder hobo meant, and now I suddenly do. Well, you learn something I, I new. Totally got once it. you once you hear the explanation, it makes it all makes it sense. It all makes sense. You, everyone knows one. So, because uh, I like to make the internet like a uh, fight amongst each other, what is your favorite uh, edition? Uh -huh. Okay, my favorite edition. I grew up playing first edition, you know, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and that's where most of my memories are formed. That's that's where you know I can quote stuff out of those those rule sets. And so that's where, that's my, my comfort zone. Uh, I've run 5th edition a few times. I like it. I think it's fun. Uh, it's just, it's a little different. So I think every edition, there's even people who love 4th edition and, and advocate for 4th edition, which, oh, yeah. which I played. And I thought it was a great game. Just it didn't feel Dungeons and Dra it didn't feel like Dungeons and Dragons to me. But I, once again, it's a game. If that's what you and your, folk, you and your friends want to play and you guys have fun doing it, God bless you. That's, that's my take on it. For me, I mean, I'm a I'm a really old man, so you know, first edition. Hell, I played with the original white books, the white book set. So, uh, for you know, for first edition, for me, was like, oh my gosh, it's all like, there's real rules. We don't have to make it all up. It's actually, you know, if something happens, they tells us what's going to happen based on that. So uh, I'm a I'm a big first edition player. Uh, we're gonna be playing later today, uh, Tomb of Horrors first edition. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm starting to learn 5th edition. I, I totally get where it, it, in some ways, it feels like a throwback to it. 
um, you know, when D&D got bought by Wizards of the Coast and who owned Magic, you know, it took on kind of a different feeling and I I took a vacation of about 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's a super exciting time. And the great thing is anybody can play whatever edition they want. That's the other thing. So, because they're all there. That's so awesome. Well, um, we really appreciate you guys taking the time. We have one last thing for you. Here at Nerds with Friends, we like to do a thing called Nerdy Confessions, where we kind of confess something that makes us a nerd. Like, for instance, I mean, you know, you guys have proven quite a bit already, but uh, for instance, I got a free Game of Thrones tattoo just to cut in line at Comic-Con. So that's, you know, that's kind of one of my, uh, you know, badges of honor in nerd world. What's one for you guys? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, I think I just, uh, I'm, I've been... Uh, nerd is in my DNA. I, I think I'm patient zero for role-playing gaming. The, my earliest memories are role-playing D&D around the table. Since I've, I've been shaking dice since I was four, and probably younger. They said, keep them out of my mouth, you know, so I didn't choke <laughs> yeah, myself. Ch ch so, yeah, I, I just think that uh, uh, for me, uh, you know, this is just my lifestyle. I didn't have to, I never, I never learned how to be a nerd. I just grew up as a nerd, and I thought that was normal. So it's not until I got around other people I realized that, my upbringing was unusual in any way. <laughs> so I guess that's my nerdy confession. I've, I'm born a nerd. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a confession as much as a badge of honor, but the thing that I think cemented me in the sort of nerd hall of fame is that when I cosplayed uh, Sandor Clegane the Hound. Oh, nice. And then George R. R. Martin went on late night with Seth Meyers and proclaimed it the best <laughs> cosplay he'd ever seen. And he said, and by the way, I've met this guy. And I'm afraid he's going to come over to my house. <laughs> so I had to say this. That was pretty much my. Oh, that's that wins. Yeah, that That's awesome. the best one we've ever heard. Uh, well, well, thank you guys so much for taking the time out of the convention. Um, uh, where can people find you? Twitter, Instagram, plug whatever you sure, need. Sure, I'm on uh, Facebook, at Luke Gygax, Twitter at Luke Gygax. Uh, if you want to, I'm the founder of GaryCon uh, Game Convention, Memorial Game Convention, in honor of my dad. So that's uh, at Gary.con. I highly recommend it. It's like going back in time because it's actually about the same size as the early Gen Cons. That's so awesome. Yeah, and I, you can find me uh, at uh, www.legionm.com mm -hmm. uh, where I'm Vice President of Development. Uh, if you want to look at my cosplay, you want to see the Hound, you can go to uh, my Facebook page, Larger Than Life Cosplay. I'm six foot eight, uh, Or Instagram, LTL Cosplay. But uh, easy to track down. Twitter, David C. Baxter. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the convention. We really appreciate you guys taking the time. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. All right. That was uh, Luke Gygax, the son of D&D creator Gary Gygax, and David Baxter, the Legion of M VP of Development. Um, super nice guys. We can't thank Legion of M enough for taking the time to sit down with us and talk uh, at Silicon Valley Comic Con. It was a cool booth. We'll post pictures up on our Instagram and Twitter and Facebooks and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, make sure you check us out at Nerds with Friend on both Twitter and Instagram. And then just search Nerds with Friends on Facebook. And make sure and check out Legion M. And if you can, if you can invest, um, I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And I'd say just put all your money in there. All I mean, of it. It can't hurt. Nah, you, you know. know. <laughs> Sell your car. Yeah. Just, just get, give them everything. Blood, you know, yeah. <laughs> Kidney. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for those guys. Uh, and check out Silicon Valley Comic Con when it comes around next year. I think you know uh, it's it's only going to get bigger if if people start showing up in mass, kind of thing. And you know if if we want them to stay here 
and we want them to continue and have a good, nice size comic convention up here in the Bay Area again. We they need our support, so I, I would definitely go check that out. Um, Christian, thank you for uh, you know walking around Silicon Valley Comic Con with me, and uh, it's fun always supporting supporting the show and uh, getting the word out. We've passed out quite a few stickers and uh, got some good info on maybe uh, doing some enamel pins. So maybe look at look for that in the future. And uh, my name is Cody Leach, and to all the nerds out there, remember, you're not alone. You're with friends. This is Nerds with Friends. Thank you and good night.